the Chicago Gumbo Show podcast. Thanks for joining us today. have a special guest, fellow Websterite alumni from back in the day. Back in the day, meaning the dorm room days, so there's going to be a lot of interesting conversation. Enjoy. Chicago Gumbo Show podcast, episode 12 at this point. And uh, today, I have a very interesting conversation with a friend of mine that goes way back to our college days living in the dorms. And um, he was the one who turned me on to punk music. I turned him on to jazz, and we both drank a lot of beer. And he is an author of a book called The Perfect Pint guide to midwestern microbrews which is found out it's out of print because once it's printed it's out of print but um well let's listen to the conversation so um basically the conversation is going to go um i want to talk about your book that you wrote I want to talk about your experience with beer. And I also want to talk about the fact that you and I are connected through music because I tried to turn you on jazz as much as John Cavelli did. And you tried to turn us on punk. (laughs) It was the two of you that turned me on to jazz. I can describe the, the, the moment when it all made sense to me. Okay. All right. (laughs) Let's go. Let's hear it. 
<laughs> all right. So uh, the moment jazz all made sense to me, because I used to kid Cavelli endlessly and mercilessly that jazz was just musical masturbation. Yeah, I agree with um, you in some certain terms. I really in agree. some in some <laughs> circumstances, that's exactly what it is. Yes. But so we're sitting in Cavelli's room late at night. <clears throat> we're all crazy stoned. He's got this lamp that has a short in it. Uh -huh. So it keeps flashing on and off. Uh -huh. <laughs> so we've got this weird kind of random flashing light going. Right. And we're listening to uh, John Coltrane's home. I'm <laughs> listening to in, this insanely squeaky, squawky, chaotic Coltrane thing. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and it all made sense to me after that. And I think that um, the night that you and I were in my apartment, I think it was actually my bachelor party that you had come <laughs> back from Amsterdam. And I had turned on, you know, Ornette Coleman. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you turned me on to Ornette Coleman. Yeah. Who I then decided was God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, who I still but, listen to regularly. And, and, and you and I talked ourselves out of getting arrested by the St. Louis police that night. What were we going to get arrested for? We were just walking back and forth across the park. Oh, and, that was that night? That was that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, no, I remember that. In fact, I, 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 uh, at your wedding rehearsal dinner, I made a toast to you, citing this moment. Yes. When the cop stopped us walking from my apartment to your apartment. Yes. And said, so, uh, what, did he just walk back Walking and back forth? Back and forth yeah. all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, I no, think, think and you're an idiot. <laughs> thing that saved us was um i had i still had my illinois driver's license in my, mm -hmm. my parents house and they're like okay if you live in south st louis now why isn't your why it didn't have you update your id and i said well i've been going to college i planned on moving back but now i'm getting married he hands me back my license and he goes good luck <laughs> 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 and boy did you need it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the book you wrote the book I wrote so it's out of print now because it's really? hopelessly out of date it's like insanely out of date it was okay. out of date the day it came out <laughs> um, well of course so it was called uh, A Perfect Pint's Beer Guide to the Heartland. Yeah. And it was uh, a guidebook to 236 breweries in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois, which wow. at the time was all of the breweries in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois, yeah. at least at the time that I decided I have to stop and turn in my manuscript or there will never be a book because yeah. that was the point when they were just starting to open like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um. And I spent two and a half years and traveled to almost all of those 236 breweries. Yeah. Um, 
which was insanely fun, but something that I would never do again. Really? <laughs> um, Even if I were like your you know, backup, you know, you know, wingman, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, that. it was it was <laughs> so intense. So like I would do I would do or I would, so I, I had to schedule these things because I wanted to actually talk to people. I didn't want to just go in. Right. I wanted exactly. to talk to the brewers. So I had to schedule these things and I had to try and schedule them so that I could easily link brewery to brewery. So I would look at a region, look at all the breweries in that region and just start calling and try and link together a trip that made sense. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's not easy to do because brewers are, notoriously hard to get a hold of for one thing and then they like to hide in their caves and not talk to anybody yeah i mean we're talking about you know people that either went computer side of things or they're like microbrewers and they were like you know geeking out (laughs) i understand but so i would i would schedule like a week-long trip Uh to a particular region and I would do three to four breweries every day of that trip. <laughs> and that gets really intense. Yeah. Because I also wanted to try all of the beers that all these breweries had on tap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, three or four breweries a day with 10 beers, 10, 15 beers each. A lot of beer and a lot of driving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had so one day I was in Iowa and it was a four brewery day. <laughs> and the last, I, I think this was all Des Moines. It was four Des Moines breweries, which Des Moines is a great beer town. Yeah. No, Des Moines sounds awful, but it's a great beer town. Oh, um, yeah, I understand. So I'm in Des Moines and I visit, it's a four brewery day. And the last brewery I stop at is the Rock Bottom in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had just finished. And they first, they had 15 beers on tap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had just finished a strong beer festival. Okay. So, like, eight or nine of those 15 beers were, like, 8 to 13% alcohol. Oh, oh man. <laughs> and, the bartender clearly didn't know what he was doing because he set me up starting with the strong ones uh-huh. and then working the way down. Yeah, and so like a wine flight, isn't it? You got to work your way up to the darker ones. Yeah, well, yeah, you go from less intense flavors to stronger yeah. flavors, but he didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I'm working my way through these. It was my last stop of the day, so I'd already been to three breweries. Um, and thank God I didn't know this when I booked it, but my hotel was walking distance to the. <laughs> oh, that's always my the, goal too. <laughs> working my way through these fifteen beers, and the notes that I took because I took extensive notes when I was tasting through the beers. The notes that I took, you can see my handwriting just gets progressively worse as I go through it. <laughs> And at one point, I, I wrote in my notes, I will get through this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, surprisingly, I worked my way through those 15 samples and then ordered a pint. <laughs> well, there you go. 
I just remember the night you you were um, you were in Chicago. You were doing the um, the thing you used to produce for the the what was it? The women's prison recovery. Oh yeah, yeah, Saint Leonard, Saint Leonard's house and thing. You met me at this gig I had at a place in Chicago that I can't remember the name, but you were like, you need to try Robert the Bruce. Yeah. And that was like, oh my God, this is like the most potent beer I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> and I've been I've been hooked on Scottish ales since mm-hmm. that night. And whenever I go to a microbrew, I'm like, do you guys do Scottish ale?
Oh, I got to thank you again for uh, piano night tickets. Oh, God, that that was incredible, wasn't it? It was so incredible. Yeah. And and we were sitting back towards the back of the house somewhere, but we were right next to a table reserved for the family of Professor Longhair. Oh, really? (laughs) So you had some conversations with them? We didn't. We just looked at them. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were the creepy ones staring at them going. <laughs> that reminds me of, you know, one time I was down there with my buddy Paul Kay and, you know, it was his um, bachelor party. And it was back when my parents owned all these friggin' you know like you know timeshares so we at at certain points of the year I could like go to them and say can you find me a timeshare in the French Quarter so we did and it's like you know the middle of August when nothing's going on but we went to the jazz music we walk up the stairs and sitting at a table you know, like looking very, you know, uncomfortable was Alan Toussaint. Wow. And <laughs> this lady from the museum goes, this is Mr. Alan Toussaint. He's very prevalent in the New Orleans. And my friend Paul's like, oh, are you kidding me? Alan. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, he was, he was a really, he was a really kind of shy person. Mm-hmm. Or as incredible he, as he was, you know, and as you know, prevalent as he was in New Orleans music, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing I love about New Orleans is you can basically walk up to the musicians and they talk to you. I've I going to uh, Preservation Hall. Yeah, I, I talked to those musicians at length after the show that I saw there. Yeah. Um, although they had another show to do, so we couldn't talk forever. Right. <laughs> it's not like, you know, my friend um, who uh, plays drums, he's an incredible jazz drummer, and he was totally in love with Max Roach. Mm-hmm. And he finally gets to go see Max Roach, and he's standing in line waiting for Max Roach to sign his Max Roach album. And he walks up to Max Roach and Max Roach is having this conversation with like two women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mind you, my friend looks like, you know, somebody that probably follows the Grateful Dead. He's a skinny hippie dude with long hair. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Max Roach goes to the women, excuse me. And he turns to my friend and he goes, what the fuck do you want? that's kind of i i did a a halloween trade show of some kind years and years ago and and what's his name the actor that played grandpa munster oh man yeah uh was there with the munster mobile signing autographing photos and he was kind of the same way he would, you know, he was ancient. He yeah. already had to have been in his seventies already. Right. 
But any young, attractive woman that walked up, man, he was all over it. And everybody else, he was signing pictures without even looking at them and just handing them off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I made a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to know, so a lot of things from back in the day are sort of vague to me. <laughs> well, me too, um, but they come back at strange times. Yeah. <laughs> so... How did I turn you on to punk rock? This was back when we were freshmen, or I think you were a freshman at the same time I was. I know you yeah, we were heard me, but um, I don't know. I I, I I met you through Dan Aller, mm-hmm. and you were like this dude that lived on the floor below me that we had several people we used to hang out with on the weekends who had stereos and records and and you were one of those people that I kind of gravitated towards because I never really listened to punk rock and um, I just remember you know Husker Du and all this you know German stuff that you were influenced by which you should probably tell them reason why you're influenced by them. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I, I spent a year before college, I spent a year as an exchange student in a town in Germany and I hung out with the punk rockers there yeah. in that town and got arrested with them and well, that's sang, do sang briefly in a band with them. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was, uh, they were interesting. The people I was going to high school with uh, weren't particularly interesting. Well, you were going to a suburban high school in in St. Louis. Yeah. (laughs) Well, even the people I was good, the high school I was in in Germany, they weren't that interesting. Really? Okay. Yeah. But the punkers, we had fun. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what did we do? We hung out on the streets and drank a whole lot of really horrid, cheap wine. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, why not? It was fun. Right. And then you went back on a trip post-college, as I remember. Yeah, right after college. And the trip where I (laughs) told my parents, I'm going to Germany. I'll be back when I run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of remember meeting your dad at one time. I think he was like one of the most conservative people other than my future ex-father-in-law. Yes. Because they both knew each other. They both worked at McDonnell Douglas. And- yes. <laughs> My whole family is conservative. I don't know how I came out of my family. Sometimes I think I, I, I wasn't supposed to be in my family or I was adopted. <laughs> <or something. laughs> like, I'm, I'm the weirdo in the family in that regard. Yeah. Still am. Well, I mean, yeah, I understand that. I really do. 
because I think both my sister and I rebelled at the same time mm -hmm. because my dad was in the Navy, a career man, you know, people, to tell you a story, I, my, one of my first musical people that I paid attention to was Jim Croce. Yeah. Because it, you know, it makes sense, you know, sort of that jug band, you know, singer songwriter stuff yeah. and one time he came up to me and he was like you know i saw your your guy jim croce on tv his long hair i'm not gonna listen to him anymore <laughs> <laughs> that at least though was a response well you know, exactly. we him and i had these these battles of what you know what defines the blues several yeah. times like you know um the public public tv in chicago used to uh, simulcast the blues fest in chicago and one night my dad and i are watching it i was probably in like junior high and muddy mm -hmm. waters was on and i'm like like okay i i, I get this and my dad's sitting in his chair going, this is not the blues. And I was like, really? <laughs> Muddy Waters is not the blues? <laughs> <laughs> what is the blues? <laughs> to him, I think it was like Billie Holiday and, you know, jazz blues and I don't know. But um, <laughs> it's you know, all your perspectives. So, you know, yeah. the fact that I listen to punk music because of you and you listen to jazz because of me is, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a, when, it, when it works and we both drink beer too. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Although I was talking to somebody, so I didn't, I didn't drink that much in college. Uh, I got high yeah. a lot, yeah. but I didn't really drink that much in college. It was after college that I started drinking a lot more beer. Uh-huh. Strangely. <laughs> <laughs> so with your dad though, so at least you guys had arguments about what was the blues. Exactly. Well, my dad, so like I don't remember whether it was during college or high school, might have been high school. I was checking out all these records from the library of like 1950s era electronic classical experimental music okay um and it's all really it's all really dark yeah <laughs> and maybe that's just because it's electronic and that's what they knew how to do with it in the 1950s but right. it's all really dark mm -hmm. and i said to my dad once you know the 50s is like portrayed as this idyllic time you know leave it to beaver everybody's happy everything's yeah. thriving and then you've got this music it's coming out of that same era. And I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> and he said, well, there's always a lunatic fringe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best discussion I ever got out of. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> <laughs>
took to fighting They went and pulled down from the floor Leroy looked like a jigsaw puzzle With a couple of pieces gone So, so you're not going to write another book, huh? Not that one. They actually contacted me to to write another one of that. They they wanted me to redo it, update it. Mm-hmm. And when I initially pitched the book to them, I had like six states in it. Yeah. Because I was going to do the Great Lakes states. Yeah. Um, thankfully, they talked me out of that. Yeah. <laughs> but they said... You know, and if we redo it, we could add states. <laughs> and I just said, you know what? Let me just tell, tell you where we're at now. Mm-hmm. In the book, there are 48 breweries in Minnesota. That was all of them in Minnesota. Yeah. There are now 180. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the same in all four states that I covered. Right, right, right. And you don't want to publish that, and I don't want to do that. Unless you give me a budget. <laughs> I, I figured out with uh, the little bit of royalties I made and the book sales that I did, mm-hmm. uh, I probably almost broke even. Okay. <laughs> I didn't go into it thinking I was going to make money, though, because you don't make no. money writing books. But uh, what was the name of the book? A Perfect Pints Beer Guide to the Heartland. Okay. And is that a might still be able to get it on Amazon for all I know. Well, A Books or something. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it as a, a snapshot in history. Now, what I want to do now is go back through it and find out what happened to all the breweries I wrote about. Like exactly. How many of them are still open? Right. Um, what do they look like now as opposed to what they looked like when I was there? So like there's one, when I visited them, the brewery was in the back room of a homebrew shop. Okay. <laughs> like a homebrew supply shop. Uh, and they had two really small breweries, like brew systems. Uh-huh. And if to make a batch the brewer would be running two different brews at the same time. Okay. <laughs> so it was this really chaotic process to try and monitor two things happening at once. Right. Uh, and now they have this great big production facility somewhere in wherever they were. Yeah. Somewhere in Wisconsin. So I'm just curious, you know, what's, what's the status of all the breweries I wrote about now? Oh yeah. Well, because you know, one I I remember when I was while I was working on my master's degree in college, I had to read this um, this thing about beer wars in, in America. 
<laughs> and the history behind um, at one time in America, every every city had its own brewery. Mm -hmm. and every ethnic group had their own brewery. You know, just look at St. Louis. You know, there was, there was, you know, tons of Germans there. There was a limp brewery. There was like, you know, all this stuff. There, even Waukegan had its own brewery. Yeah. And then Prohibition comes. And the only ones that actually survived were, you know, like Anheuser-Busch and all the big families yeah. that figured out how to do something to sustain themselves through Prohibition. And I think we're actually getting back to the microbrew process of fresh beer brewed down my street. I can walk in the place. Yeah. It came out of the in the barrel. But we're we're way beyond where we were pre-prohibition. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are many times more breweries now than there were then. Oh yeah. Um, the explosion that happened was crazy. It slowed way, way down. I mean, the growth isn't like anything like it was for a while. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. Because that couldn't sustain forever. Yeah. Uh, I really thought that COVID was going to shut things down. Um, a lot of the, like the Craft Brewers Guild here in Minnesota did a survey of its members and like... I think 15% of the membership was saying, if this lasts another month, we're done. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know of any that closed. Yeah. America likes its beer, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it does. It as long as it's an IPA. Beer, baseball would be boring. Even with beer, baseball is boring. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're into it like I am, but that's okay. Yeah. I never lasted more than like an inning and a half of baseball. <laughs> and then I started wandering around the stadium looking for things to get in trouble. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where's the smoking section? <laughs> Well, thanks for joining me today. My conversation with Mike Agnew, author, actor, director, beer drinker. There was more to this interview that I might put into other podcasts in the future, so stay tuned.